Good afternoon and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. It's Tuesday, July 18th, and I'm Allison Lucasy Love, Managing Director of Major Projects at the Greater Cleveland Partnership and the moderator for today's conversation. Today's forum is the last in a four-part series here at Public Square. Previous conversations have talked about economic development, connectivity, and growing Cleveland equitably as a legacy city. Today, we are discussing public art and how it can help transform the way we interact with the public realm. Cleveland has a wealth of public art, from the Guardians of Transportation on the Lorraine Carnegie Bridge, to the free stamp by City Hall, to all of the colorful murals that bring life to our city. Art has the power to change a viewer's way of thinking and to help shape a city's cultural identity. Furthermore, supporting local artists and their work leads to a more vibrant, welcoming, and diverse culture for our city. So joining me on stage to discuss the power of public art is Joe Lanzolita, Director of Design and Strategy at Land Studio, Deidre McPherson, Chief Community Officer at Assembly for the Arts, and in the center, Tara Petrus, Public Art Project Coordinator with the City of Cleveland. Members and friends of the City Club of Cleveland, please join me in welcoming our panelists. So I have to start off on a personal note by stating just how delighted I am to share this stage and the lawn here today with fellow arts, artists and creatives. Uh, for those of you who were at the Cleveland Foundation's annual meeting last week, you heard current CEO and President Ron Richards talk about the importance of investing in world-class art assets in order to attract and retain talent in our city. It's a pillar of our work at the Greater Cleveland Partnership as well. And on a personal note, as the curator of Cleveland's smallest gallery inside a once pay vacant payphone box in the Waterloo Arts District, uh, for nearly 10 years I have personally witnessed new and emerging artists blossom and contribute to the canvas of our city. So today we will talk about the ability of art to create those moments of surprise and delight, as well as provide spaces for free speech to thrive. And we will understand through the lens of these art leaders how they're working to grow the art ecosystem here in Cleveland. To, to start off the conversation, I've asked each of the panelists to share with us their favorite piece of public art, whether it's in Cleveland or uh, elsewhere. And I'll start with you, Deidre. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for, for having me uh, as a guest on this panel. Um, my favorite piece of public art here in Cleveland is on the West 28th Street ramp. Uh, it's, it's a mural. Uh, it's slated as the largest mural in the state of Ohio. It's called the Kings and Queens of Lakeview Terrace. And it was done by a Brazilian artist named Ananda Nahu, who was here in Cleveland as part of the Cleveland Foundation's Creative Fusion program back in 2016. And it was done in collaboration with uh, local artists who are part of Sankofa Fine Art Plus, uh, Gary Williams and Robin Robinson. And uh, aside from the beautiful piece of art that it is, um, what I love about this mural is that it really encompasses what community engagement looks like. Uh, Ananda was visiting from Brazil. She worked with uh, a group of artists who are based here in Cleveland, uh, Sankofa Fine Art artists. And they also worked very closely with residents of Lakeview Terrace, uh, which is a Cleveland Metropolitan Housing Authority property. Um, the Cleveland Public Theater was part of the project because they had a theater program in collaboration with uh, Lakeview Terrace. And um, together, uh, this international artist, a local art collective, and some youth who lived nearby worked together to really uncover their story and, and just show their love and joy and beauty on this mural. So if you get a chance to see it, it's on West 28th Street uh, exit ramp, uh, just off of Detroit Avenue. And I also love it because it, it was done at a time when the Hingetown project was really just getting started. So there was a lot of change and transformation to the neighborhood. Uh, and here at Lakeview Terrace, um, this region, uh, this, this neighborhood was really starting to feel 
left out from that narrative. And this mural really represented a connector that um, brought people together in a significant way. So that's my favorite. I could go on, but I'll stop right there. <laughs> go ahead, Tara. Thank you. Um, I'm happy to be here as well. Uh, I was delighted to hear that Deidre and I actually have the same favorite piece of public art in the city. Um, in addition to the reasons that she mentioned, another reason that's my favorite, not visually, not just visually, the mural is beautiful, there's kente cloth, but um, for me it was the representation. The children that are in the mural, the portraits, are children that lived at Lakeview Terrace at the time, and so to be able to look out their windows and see themselves reflected on artwork that they can easily access, um, as well as the cultural experience that it brought to them. And it just brings me to mind why I find it very important to have a strong balance of local, national, and international artists as part of our landscape of public art. Um, but this artist deeply engaged with the residents. They experienced Brazilian food. Um, and like Deidre was saying, it was just a real strong sense of community. Um, so I think that's really important. I think representation matters. I think community engagement is key when you are wanting ownership of a piece of public art and, a, and identifying a, a neighborhood's cultural identity of something they can be proud of. And, and just having that cultural experience is something that they may not have had otherwise. So to have a local international experience, I think is very powerful. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, I think that's a that's a really important point is um, being able to to give folks um, an experience that is international by bringing art um, to our city. And so I've actually got two artists, um, two two works of art that I that are my favorite. I couldn't pick one. Um, the first one is also by an international artist um, named Sam Three. Um, so anybody familiar with the Water Tower or um, if you're from the water department, you'd probably get mad at me because it's actually, I think, a surge tank. But uh, the water tower off of the shoreway, which for a long time was a, you know, a, a, a dirty kind of decaying um, um, beige piece of infrastructure. And, um, and now it's this big, beautiful kind of beacon um, in our city. It's, it's in, a, in a very prominent um, 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 location. Um, along the skyline, so um, I just love the fact that it, it was it was a part of this beautification um, and technically a very difficult project to pull off. Um, for those who are in the know of, of, of creating projects, um, working with, with folks internationally um, presents its own challenges um, just logistically, um, but but simply the size and scale of that of that project was was absolutely uh, huge, and we were able to work with a local painter as well to assist Sam Three in um, in the completion of his project. So there was there was this um, not only this cultural sharing and this beautification that was happening, but capacity building amongst um, um, uh, local talent. Um, and my second one. And this one is, is more personal because we just worked on the restoration of it in 2021, um, is the mural on East 9th just down the street um, by John Morell called uh, Life is Sharing the Same Park Bench, which was a mural um, commissioned by Carl Stokes in 1969 um, and completed by John Morell and a number of volunteers. And I love that mural because not only is it a testament to kind of... Um, the city and the urban fabric and, and, and folks um, being in the same spaces and, and having to, or getting to um, enjoy each other's company. But um, it's an example of, of how long a piece of artwork, specifically a mural, can exist in a city. Um, I think folks think sometimes that murals are, are temporary or will decay over time. And um, it is a testament to how long those things can last. So um, I'm very excited that it's still around and that we were able to actually get to um, renovate the mural and bring it back to life and refresh it. So um, it's one of my favorites. Well, thank you all for sharing that and for teasing out some themes that we'll talk about this afternoon as well. Uh, so this is a question for all of you, and I'll start with Tara. 
Uh, in the context of downtown and neighborhood development, how does public art influence people's sense of place and the identity for the city of Cleveland? I think uh, people enjoy being in spaces where they can have an outdoor gallery, they can have a place of identity that they relate to. Um, I think because downtown is the front door to a city, I think that that's the first impression of Cleveland. So I think um, as you build out on public art downtown, that's where you start. But I would like to see that same energy and hunger and financing expand out into underserved neighborhoods. But I think it definitely starts with your downtown because that's the first impression of a city to, to tourists. But I think we also have to take that energy into the neighborhood so they have that same experience equitably. Yeah, I'll just build on that. I, I love the idea of downtown really being uh, the front door, door to our city, to our, our broader neighborhoods, both on the east side and on the west side. Um, I love when I see a visit a neighborhood and I see the same artists' work kind of sprinkled in a neighborhood um, when artists actually reside in that neighborhood and they're starting to build like an outdoor gallery uh, uh, or a portfolio of, of work. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna lean on the example of Sankofa Fine Arts again. Uh, small plug, I'm their board president, so I'm very proud of the work that they do. But in the Glenville neighborhood, uh, which has historically you know, been redlined over the years, uh, you'll find the work of Sankofa Fine Art, um, really um, a, a series of murals uh, to that community that create a sense of place uh, that represent the faces of people who actually reside there and participated in the creation of the work. Um, but then on, on the other end, there's also uh, public art that's that's um, coming to, as Tara mentioned, um, Tara mentioned uh, downtown. So um, I'm thinking about uh, this wall behind us, uh, behind Old Stone Church, uh, the Standard Building. Um, in, in the years to come, there'll be a, a mural there by international artist Julie Maretu uh, as part of Front International, and um, you know that's that's really exciting to see. So just creating a sense of identity, a sense of place, a sense of meaning, uh, and a, a desire for people to convene and just be in community with one another is, is really where I see the power of, of public art. Yeah, I think it's important to have um, a central location where, where folks can really experience um, the culture and the vibrancy of, of a group of people in a region. So, um, I mean, that's what this space is right now that we're in, um, and I'm sure there are folks out there who, who didn't register for this event, who stumbled in and, and are now getting to um, experience um, a robust discussion about place and about art and about people. So um, I think it's important to have a space that you can um, depend on, um, a location within a city you can depend on to, to experience um, different perspectives of, of people and, and art and expression. Great, thank you all. Uh, Tara, talk to us about the city's percent for art program uh, for capital projects and a project of that program that's meaningful to you. The uh, chapter 186 was established in the city of Cleveland in 2003 and that ordinance dictates that one and a half percent of uh, qualifying public art, pro or, I'm sorry, capital projects uh, be utilized towards a public art component. Um, so things like new structures being built, recreation centers, above ground structures, uh, streetscapes, park renovations, new parks, those would all get a public art component as a percentage of the, uh, the construction dollars on the project. And uh, it's, there's a seven member committee that uh, work with the, the, the projects and there are also two ad hoc committee members that are assigned by the local council person for the neighborhood or ward that it's going into and those ad hoc members come directly from the community. Uh, and I would say a couple of projects that were really meaningful, I'll mention a couple of the most recent ones. Um, one that we just completed uh, last year is at Kavasic Recreation Center and that one is meaningful. It was completed last year by an artist named Default, and it was our first concrete relief public art. We've done sculptures, we've done uh, functional art, 
but we had not done anything, and we've done murals, we had not done anything like concrete relief. But why it's meaningful is it happened during the pandemic. So shortly after we contracted with the artists, uh, we went into lockdown mode. And so because community engagement is such an important piece of that process, um, to have an artist have to do his public engagement differently, um, and he really pivoted, he created a Dropbox for people in the neighborhood, stakeholders to drop photos of themselves. And he took those photos, some of those photos and created their portraiture and concrete relief inside the recreation center. And it's beautiful because of the architecture of the building. It's an older building um, and they were able to incorporate this concrete relief onto raw brick. And it's really stunning when you go in there and see that. And for people from the neighborhood that utilize the center regularly, it's, it's just a wonder what rep, wonderful representation. Um, another one, and we're gonna be plugging Sankofa again. <laughs> uh, another sculpture we recently installed earlier this year by local artist Sequoia Versali. Uh, it's called the Tree of Joy. The Tree of Joy. And it, again, this was done during the pandemic as well. And what she did was she worked with Gary Williams and Robin Robinson of Sankofa, and they asked members of the community, it's in Glenville on 105th and Ashbury, and they asked members of the community, what are words, key words or phrases that inspire you? And so she took those and created the, this sculpture of a tree with leaves, and each of the leaves has the names of those community members on one side, and their inspirational word or phrase on the opposite side. And it's, it's really, really beautiful. And it just goes to show how community engagement is done. We do not tell artists how to engage with the community, but we do make it clear that's an expectation because different artists have different ways and we don't like to interfere with that process. But I think both of those are examples of how it was really well done and it came up with very meaningful work. Yeah, thank you. Those are really powerful, gorgeous, and meaningful uh, projects that came out of that Percent for Art program. Uh, Deidre, can you share with us your trajectory? Uh, you're relatively new at the Assembly for the Arts, and prior to that, you worked with Front and uh, Studio West, and just talk to us about that that trajectory and that experience with public art for those uh, those entities. Sure, uh, so I'm a former museum worker. I used to uh, work as a curator of programming at Mocha Cleveland, Cleveland Museum of Art. Uh, pandemic changes happened, uh, my, my role at CMA ended, and I jumped into some consulting work which led to some really exciting projects, uh, one of which was uh, working with Front International, which is a region-wide uh, contemporary art festival, if you're not familiar, uh, that, that takes place in Cleveland, Akron, and Oberlin. Check it out if it's not on your radar. It'll be back in 2025. But um, with Front, it was is really it started in 2018, and um, it, it occurred summer of 2018. For three months, there was there were there were art exhibitions all united by the same theme at uh, about 20 or so venues. But um, in 2018, uh, Front left its mark with some permanent art uh, on Toby Plaza outside of Mocha Cleveland uh, with a sculpture called Judy's Hand. Uh, pavilion, Judy's Hand Pavilion. And so if you've probably seen that big silver hand outside Mocha and stood underneath it and taking pictures, uh, that was a really uh, you know, fun piece of permanent art, uh, public art that now has a permanent place as a result of that festival um, that brings people from around the world. So, uh, and now Front 20, uh, 2022, which just happened uh, last summer, about a year ago, um, I mentioned a little earlier, they made the announcement that uh, artist Julie Maretu will um, paint the largest uh, canvas in downtown Cleveland, that standard building, which is another you know, permanent mark, which is really exciting that this festival is able to leave behind. Um, uh, another public art project that, that I was really honored to support was at uh, Studio West 117. If you're not familiar, it's uh, uh, an enclave for the LGBTQ community in, in Lakewood on West 117th and Detroit. And it's a really fantastic venue. They have bars, restaurants, uh, a gymnasium where you can play pickleball and all these other great things. Um, there's also a courtyard there and, and um, uh, the, on, the entrepreneurs who are opening the space um, really wanted to have uh, the LGBTQ community to have a voice in the public art that's on site. 
So uh, they, I got to work uh, on that project to bring a, a public art program, an art mural program to Studio West 117 that's displaying the work of all Cleveland-based LGBTQ identifying artists. And um, my expertise is not in public art, so I, I was um, you know, able to collaborate. I'm gonna talk about Robin Robinson again. I, it's Robin in the audience, Sankofa <laughs> Fine Art. But I called on the expertise of Robin Robinson to support me in that, that public art project, uh, which resulted in um, uh, about four Cleveland-based artists having um, artwork at, at that venue. So again, it, it created a sense of pride, identity, and, and connection for the LGBTQ community that um, really it gives people an additional reason to want to visit that, uh, that venue, in addition to it being for the LGBTQ community, arts and entertainment, it's also about community and representation. So thank you. Thank you so much for that. And so Joe, bringing it back downtown and specifically in uh, Public Square where we're sitting today, Land Studio curates temporary art installations. We have a couple of uh, examples here by Taco Ako mm -hmm. um, and throughout the downtown. So can you talk about the value of temporary art versus permanent art yeah. uh, in these spaces? Yeah, I, I think, you know, simply it's, it's great to keep, um, keep a space fresh and um, to have things to look forward to um, from time to time, um, ever-changing pieces. Um, but it also gives folks a, a, a chance, it gives artists a chance um, to, to kind of rotate work in and out. So um, for instance, the cafe art wall, on the opposite side of the cafe over here, we have a large art wall um, that we curate about three to four times a year. So um, we get a chance to rotate out artwork and work with different artists for each one of those installations. And you know, we, we like to use it as a way for um, up and coming artists to um, become more discoverable. Um, it gives them a big kind of opportunity um, to, to kind of um, get a foot in the door in public art without it being too um, overwhelming. We're not asking them to build anything necessarily or, or go too far outside of, of, of their comfort zones when it comes to their practice, but it is a huge platform um, with high visibility. Um, so, that, so that's one aspect. And then um, with, the, with the Toko Oko sculptures um, and, and the other rotating sculptures we do here, we, we get a chance to um, bring in artists as well from outside of the region, from outside of the city, um, and from outside of the country. Toko Oko is a duo out of Brazil, um, and we were able to fly them into Cleveland and actually capture some of, of their knowledge and their wisdom and, and share it with folks here in our city. So. Um, you know, with our Studio to the Street program, um, we were able to host um, an artist mixer while they were in town, um, and they got to talk about their work and, and meet different artists here in Cleveland and really just kind of be present. Um, and it, it's, you know, the art is beautiful, and the art is wonderful, and it's vibrant, and it's something to see and do. But I think a lot of times, the magic that happens with, with the art process um, is kind of a little bit more intangible and it happens when um, you're having, you know, a drink or a coffee with the artist or you're getting to pick their brain a little bit or you're getting to, um, you know, talk about their process. And a lot of times that doesn't happen where you, where you get to meet the artist and you get to actually um, um, kind of learn a little bit more about what it is to, to be an artist. So um, in short, you know, the, the rotating art keeps it fresh. It, it, it creates new opportunities and kind of ever-changing experiences um, for both the audience, the artist, um, and it's, um, it's a special thing and we're lucky that we get a chance to do that and that we have um, stakeholders and property owners and partners and funders who, um, who see the value in those things. Thank you so much. And if you haven't, I encourage you to take a walk around Public Square before you leave today and, and discover those sculptures. They're really uh, quite fun. Um, so for all of you, and we've, we've talked about this throughout the conversation, but community engagement is just so important to public art. And on our prep call, uh, this really interesting idea came up that um, 
within a museum, you have a choice to attend that gallery, to interact with that art, that subject matter. But that's not the case in the public realm. So in the public realm and through public art and the work that your organizations are doing, how does subject matter, how does navigating difficult topics fit into your work as a representation to the community and in and, and conversation with those artists? Whoever wants to start. I'll chime in. Yeah, go ahead. So for me, like you said, in the public realm, you don't have a choice of what you're seeing. So I think you have to be very intentional and very careful, but also balance between being careful and giving people opportunity of free speech. So the city of Cleveland has an outdoor works of art ordinance. Uh, and through that ordinance, it dictates that if you have an art installation that's going into a public space or can be viewed from a public right-of-way. So if you're a motorist or pedestrian, um, if you're able to see that artwork, then it goes through a design review process. And the purpose of design review basically is not so much to censor the art, but to make sure that it's appropriate in the space. So the things that design review committees uh, look at are things like how the art respects the architectural significance of the building, making sure the placement on the building or the parcel, because every piece of art isn't a mural, but there's sculptures also, but you wanna make sure that the size and scale and placement within that parcel is appropriate, um, how it fits into the context of the neighborhood. And, um, but again, we don't censor the art itself, but if it's something that's deemed harmful for public consumption, we would, then step in and say, we don't feel like this is appropriate. So if there's sexual content or um, violence or drug use, those types of things, we, we just ask that people stay away from um, just because it's public consumption. But it's not a condition of approval just on content in general because obviously art is subjective. Um, you're not gonna please everybody all of the time, but I think you have to be cognizant of the fact that who your audience is and when your audience is the public and not someone making a choice you have to be very conscientious yeah and i think when you're going into other communities um you know you have to you have to have buy-in from that community to um to establish you know art programs there and and so it's important to work with um you know partners within that community residents cdc's um, business owners all of that um you know i think in a place like public square um, in downtown, maybe, uh, you know, there's definitely still a, a community here, um, but it's, it's nice to have a space like this where maybe you can, um, you can address more challenging issues or maybe push the audience a little bit more to think outside of, of um, the box. And, and I, think, um, I think that's extremely important. I think, um, I think challenging folks through art um, is exciting. It's, it's a great way for, for people to learn new perspectives. Um, but it's also a great way to just share in the joy of, of art creation and, um, and um, you know, the experience of, of, of seeing something new, something that somebody created. So um, I think, you know, it's, it's exciting to, to see that kind of expression. Um, but I think you, you have to make sure that, that the community in which you're working in um, wants to see that and, and that they're, they're open to those, um, those kinds of ideas and, and that, that kind of work. So um, yeah, it's, it's, it's extremely important to, um, to build relationships um, you know, as, a, as a public art organization. Um, you know, we're always striving to, to build new relationships and kind of um, build new partnerships and and um, just learn from the artists we, we work with and the artists we discover and the residents we get to know um, and all the different partners and stakeholders that, that go into um, actually creating a project from start to finish. Well, uh, so I work at Assembly for the Arts and um, our organization, we're a nonprofit. Um, we are our region's arts council, so we basically uh, work to increase resources and investment in the arts, and we work to increase the equity uh, of the arts and culture industry across Cuyahoga County. Uh, and we work closely in partnership with uh, Cuyahoga Arts and Culture. 
Um, and one of our, our, our biggest uh, things that we're working on right now is our, our support for artists. And so uh, programs like Studio to the Streets or the rotating uh, mural uh, that's here at Public Square really creates this important opportunity for emerging artists to grow in and expand their career uh, to experiment with first opportunities in public art that hopefully leads to additional opportunities in other parts of the region or even outside of Cleveland, which is very exciting to see. Having that, that representation um, and, and inspiring, uh, especially when you look at art in our neighborhoods, um, I think that's especially important when you're um, you know, on East 93rd and, and Kinsman or Union and, and you're driving and you're seeing uh, work that, that is done by Mr. Soul and, and uh, it's beautiful art that shares a history of the neighborhood. Uh, that really means a lot to people. Um, I, I really, I don't take the bus every day, but I do really appreciate uh, Greater Cleveland RTA. I'm just gonna uh, just talk a little bit about that project with Mr. Soul because I love that it, uh, it, it shares a history of unsung and, and celebrated black, black local heroes here in Cleveland. Folks like Stephanie Tubbs Jones, uh, but it also you know, shows heroes that um, are inspiring to people who live in the neighborhood. Uh, and you know, this is a, a neighborhood that has been historically disinvested. And so when we think about equity in the arts um, at Assembly for the Arts, the organization I work for, um, that, that representation and that uh, advancing important conversations um, around how you know, some of the challenges that our city faces around racism and, and how we're um, working to uh, address that. Um, you know, public art can really help stimulate those conversations and, and encourage thought that creates empathy and, and leads to policy changes and things. So um, it's, it's really you know, powerful to think about um, how public art can do both, uh, can, can have an impact, share the history of a neighborhood, um, really speak to uh, some of the challenges that, that fo folks who live in particular neighborhoods face, but then also speak to the joy and, and the aspirations and uh, you know, just everyday life. And so just thinking about the community engagement aspect those collaborations um, between artists and, and the neighborhoods and people who live in the community where the public art will be, it's, it's really important. And I've, I've loved seeing so many great examples of that um, with, with artists in our region, both working with institutions who are supporting and funding their work and working with uh, community members who live in a particular neighborhood. Thank you so much for that. I have one quick question that I'm hoping all the panelists can answer also quickly, and then we'll turn it over to audience Q&A. So Cleveland has a couple of cranes in the sky here in downtown, and we have multiple planning processes, as you heard from the forum here on Public Square last week, to reconnect our core to our lakefront, to our riverfront. How do we ensure that artists' voice are at the center of those processes? Well, for one, I'm really excited that um, the city of Cleveland has hired uh, a new role. Uh, as you may have heard, uh, there's going to be a new role at City Hall, um, uh, Senior Advisor for Arts, Culture, and the Creative Economy. Uh, uh, Rhonda Brown will be moving back to Cleveland. So having that role at City Hall really will enhance our arts ecosystem to have important conversations that need to be had at the city level. I'm looking at, at Tara because she's uh, at City Hall as well. So that's incredibly important to have that um, person in the city working for the city alongside our mayor um, advocating for artists because we all know that across our region arts and culture have had a significant impact on our city economically that has really contributed to our, our financial health and uh, stimulated neighborhoods in important ways. So having that role is something that I'm incredibly excited to see us join the ranks of other cities that have a similar strategic role in the city like Philadelphia, like Chicago, like New York, et cetera. Uh, so that, that's really important in Cleveland. And um, how can artists be part of the, the planning and the development? Oh, so how can artists be part of it? I think artists um, showing up and, and being part of important conversations. Like we know that our, our lakefront is, is developing and Ali, you're, you're involved in a lot of that exciting work. Um, that engagement, inviting artists who are often problem solvers, creative problem solvers, to be part of thinking about 
how to creatively solve challenges in our city and, and bring more energy and vibrancy uh, to things that you know, people might not have thought of before. And, and so artists, that, that's really a great opportunity. And so having someone at the city level, uh, organizations like Land Studio, like Assembly, and, and many others, even Cleveland Public Library, um, including artists in the conversation leads to uh, better solutions, better opportunities, and, and more thoughtful uh, things. I can um, speak to uh, a few things that are going on right now. Uh, there's a project uh, with ULI, Urban Land Institute, where they got a grant to do a TAP project, and through that project, they are connecting intentionally local artists with developers because we want to change the culture of thinking. We want developers to not just think about structures and places, but what types of feelings do those structures evoke? And so they're making some connect connections right now in the Huff neighborhood through that program. And as well, uh, Deidre mentioned Rhonda K. Brown. She's a senior strategist for arts, culture, and creative economy. She's going to be based in the mayor's office. She's starting later this month. There were efforts uh, towards incorporating art or public art and artists into City Hall's infrastructure with the creation of my position in 2017. Uh, this one is a huge leap uh, to expand on that capacity because uh, Rhonda is going to be charged with how do we create an infrastructure within City Hall for long-term sustainability so that we can build um, something more long-term and that artists have a voice. We have a lot of talent in the city. There's a lot of local talent with art and having those people have some type of, um, not just doing the work in the neighborhoods, but having a voice within the infrastructure of City Hall, I think is gonna help start some of those conversations and how do we strategize to incorporate those voices and just create a home for not just a, a point person for public art, which I've been, but how do we incorporate other forms of art, performing art, visual art, fine art, any type of element of art besides what's in the public realm and just getting those voices um, heard and getting those connections made with developers and changing that, the thought process of building in neighborhoods, downtown or otherwise. Yeah, I, th I think it's important to to change the culture and um, you know create space at the table. I think if if you value and enjoy art, um, then then we should be creating space for for artists to be a part of of the process, whatever that might be. Um, because, like Deidre said, they they are problem solvers um, and they're storytellers, and I think um, they infuse you know a human aspect into into the projects. Um, so I think, I think cultural change in that way is, is something that we should all be thinking about um, and just making that space for um, creative thinkers to, to have a voice and to have a space at that table. I just wanted to say I really appreciate Tara for bringing up that point about um, other art forms because we've talked mostly about visual art, but that piece about you know all these other really amazing you know, talented artists and creators that we have in theater and dance and um, in music and performance art, there's, there's really more opportunity there. And so again, just excited about the, the creation of that role at City Hall for us to have those broader conversations. I wanna add one more point that I forgot to mention. Um, another thing that Mayor Bibb did was appoint a transformational arts projects committee within City Hall. So um, part of Rhonda's role is going to be how to distribute the $3 million of the grant uh, towards, towards those projects. Um, and so it's a seven-member committee. Um, there are several artists on the committee, and they're going to be a part of how those ARPA dollars are spent. And so, again, we're thinking long-term with, with those things. Thank you all so much for sharing all that wonderful information. We are going to now invite the audience to participate in our conversation uh, by beginning the audience Q&A. For our live stream audience, or for those that have just joined us here in Public Square, I am Allison Lucasy Love. I am the Managing Director of Major Projects at the Greater Cleveland Partnership and the moderator for today's conversation. And joining me on stage, uh, Joe Lanzalata of Land Studio, 
Deidre McPherson of Assembly for the Arts, and Tara Petrus with the City of Cleveland. So we welcome questions from everyone, City Club members, guests, students, and those joining us from the live stream on cityclub.org. If you'd like to text a question for our panelists, text 330-541-5794, and City Club staff will try to work it into the program. And I'll just remind you uh, to please frame your comment as a question and uh, direct it to um, all or one specific panelist on stage. I'll take the first question. I'm so glad uh, all the panelists today mentioned something really important. We have seen the action from Cleveland Foundation and the City Club. Uh, you guys already step out the downtown. Not, not that we don't like public square. How would you be doing for each steps? You can actually use R to help tackle the issues economically and also culturally uh, for the underserved communities, geographically and financially, with the arts. That means we wish we will have a more of this kind of thing throughout the whole city. Thank you. Um, I'll speak on that a bit. Um, I very much believe in the power of art to bring people together. Um, when, when I had the privilege of working at, at the Cleveland Museum of Art, um, my role was creating experiences or events inspired by work on view in the, in the galleries. And I was able to really learn a lot and experiment with so many talented artists in our region um, to have conversations about what does a particular art work of art mean to them and what does it mean to them, not just in the sense of an art history moment, but personally, uh, especially if it goes deeper into something and, and resonates with their experience, their perspective uh, that, that's not shared by others. And, and so having conversations, art is really a great uh, tool as a, a starting point for important conversations uh, to progress some of our city's most pressing issues, whether you're talking about poverty, about racism, about in inequity in public health. Um, artists really have the power to uh, introduce thought points and vantage points through their work that challenge us to think differently and consider things differently. And I talked about uh, empathy earlier. Um, artists really um, help with that, help with that aspect of, of um, thinking about issues in, in disinvested communities. Um, there, there's just so many thoughtful artists that I'm thinking about, um, whether it's Amanda King or, or Donald Black or um, uh, you know, Antoine Washington that are, that are representing ideals and, and doing work in communities that lead to activations and deeper conversations and, and inspire us all. I agree with Deidre. Because we have so much local talent immersed in pretty much every neighborhood in the city, um, I think that we have to be intentional. I know since I've been in my position, I've been looking at areas where there's more of a concentration of public art and where there's disinvestment in public art. And so I think when grants become available and you can pick a neighborhood that you need to be intentional about getting into those neighborhoods that have not been invested in and use art as a tool. Art is expression and it's therapeutic, and it's not just for the artist, but it's the same thing for the consumer of the art. And so I think when we tap into the talent within each neighborhood, um, and I, I think artists are doing a really good job on a grassroots level. Um, I just think about projects like Cleveland Walls, which really amplified uh, getting artwork into the Midtown neighborhood, um, which has a very large Asian population. There was recently a mural completed in Asiatown um, on East 30th Street that finally there was representation of many of the people that live in the neighborhood. And I think that was a really meaningful and powerful moment. But a lot of it really starts at a grassroots level. But I think when you have cities and organizations that are immersed in the arts, we have to be intentional with making sure that we are expanding those dollars into those neighborhoods as well, as well as tapping into the talent um, in those neighborhoods. Is this working? Okay, yeah. thanks. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, th I think just to add to that, I think giving, giving the space um, for artists to do that kind of work too, and, and, and again, it goes back to the idea of kind of changing the, changing the culture and being open to um, hearing about the different experiences and allowing artists to, to actually um, physically kind of present those ideas and, and their experiences um, means a lot. It goes a long way, I think, um, you know, whether it's, whether it's, you know, the city process or, or the stakeholder process or whatever it might be, um, you know, being open to learning from one another is extremely important. Um, and I think, I think that's, that's what we need to be okay. aiming for. Now I want to add one thing. I think it's important to, um, to get building and, and property owners to be, to be more open to provocative art and because um, a lot of times some of the underinvestment areas is not because the community doesn't want the art or there isn't a willingness from the outside of the community to invest but sometimes it's building owners because they don't want a controversial piece of art or a provocative piece of art they want something very specific and maybe it's not what the community that's actually living and breathing in the environment and consuming that artwork wants to see. So there's a combination of factors. So I think we just have to be very intentional with getting um, property owners to embrace more provocative art. Great question that uh, evoked a lot of dialogue here. We'll take the next question. Joe, could you talk briefly about The City is Our Museum? Yeah, The City is Our Museum is an app we put together. Um, thanks for that question, Barry. Um, it, it came out of the pandemic and kind of this, um, uh, we, we were all kind of trapped inside of our, of our homes and kind of lost this, this ability to really, um, to interact with one another and, and share ideas and experiences. Um, and it, 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 it proved how important public space is to all of us, um, our mental well-being. Um, and just that ability to really connect to one another. So um, the City is Our Museum came out of that, that need to get out of the house and to go experience something, um, to learn, um, to be outside. And so um, it's an app where you can, you can take tours of public art around the city of Cleveland. Um, it's kind of broken up into different um, geographies right now um, and we're, we're we're constantly adding new um, new neighborhoods um, to the to that app, um, but it's a really wonderful tool to kind of um, um, explore public art in this city um, and to learn about the artists who created the work. Um, there are guided tours. There are um, audio components to to um, to some of the works too. So. Um, it's, it's a great way to just get out and, and learn something and explore and, um, and we're excited to continue to add to that over time. Um, it's, it's been hugely successful for us and, and we, we really love to showcase all of the work that, um, that both we've done and has been done for you know, years and years and years and, and the artwork that's existed in this city for a long time. So um, yeah, it's it's a free thing and you can just download it on your phone and, um, and go explore. Okay. I think we have time for one more question. Hello, my name is Sam Dillenbeck. I'm with the ACE mentoring program today. We're a student in college level body who's working on making a revamp of the um, Veterans Memorial Bridge. We're working on the underbelly of it, the walkway. And we were wondering, um, what do you think the best way is to connect with international cultures in our public spaces? Great question. Do you want me to go first or you want to go first? Okay, I was just going to wing it. Um, <laughs> uh, the best way to interact with international culture, international culture in our public spaces, uh, the first thing that comes to mind for me is... Um, our cultural gardens. Uh, I'm a big fan of the cultural gardens uh, that, that go through um, the Glenville neighborhood just outside of uh, University Circle. Uh, you know, each of those gardens represents a, a population of, of immigrants that has moved to Cleveland to call Cleveland home. And, and each year in September, uh, they have One World Day. It's an amazing festival where they shut down Martin Luther King Boulevard and there's music and there's food from different parts of the world and uh, there are visual artists and there's 
uh, you know, uh, uh, co not costumes, but uh, attire that's from uh, different cultures. And it's really uh, an inspiring, vibrant day with lots of energy and um, that brings people together in a, in a significant way. But, you know, also I think about some of the artists from different parts of the world who have, who have come to Cleveland and, and done projects here, uh, whether in theater or dance or music or, or visual art, and really connected with uh, local communities um, and, and artists and other creative people here in Cleveland uh, to, to have important conversations about issues that might be present in their culture and, and also present in Cleveland to have that really interesting dialogue between one another. So that's one of the ways that I've seen um, some great examples of of um, international and, and local conversations and culture. I think additionally, depending on what type of art you do want to incorporate or what communities you want to connect with, um, I think Global Cleveland is a great resource for connecting to uh, immigrant communities in the city and different cultures. So I think that would be another great resource for you. Yeah, and I, th I think being intentional about building relationships and, and inviting yes. people to be around that table um, because I think, you know, allowing people to have buy-in and to have ownership over, over a project in, in some capacity goes a long way, and I think, um, I think you can't ignore that. So, yeah, doing the hard work to, f you know, find, find the cultures, find the people who are interested in the projects and invite them to be a part of the process is, is hugely important. Thank you all so much for joining us. This was a wonderful conversation. I think we could all sit out here the rest of the afternoon on this gorgeous day. Please applause for our panelists, Joe, Deidre, and Tara. Thank you so much for joining us at the City Club today. The City Club and Public Square is presented with support from Thompson Hine and Downtown Cleveland with additional support from citizens. Today's forum is also part of City Club in the Community, sponsored by Bank of America. The City Club is grateful for the continued support of our partners, thank you. Even though this was the final forum here at the City Club's Public Square series, you can catch more free outdoor forums on every Friday in August, and those will be out in Playhouse Square. Uh, the City Club will be live broadcasting at noon from Playhouse Square's Plaza. On Friday, August 4th, the City Club will welcome four artists, so more dialogue on the arts, including Robert Van Leer of Parade the Circle fame to discuss more about the upcoming Border Light Festival, which starts on August 3rd, uh, and also the future of performance art in the city. You can learn more about these forums and others at cityclub.org. And that brings us officially to the end of today's forum. Thank you again to all of our panelists. Thank you, members of the City Club, friends of the City Club. I am Allison Lucasy Love, and this forum is now adjourned. Mm -hmm.